Well, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. I'm Chris Clements. And today, thanks we, for joining us. Yeah, we are honored to have Lisa James as our guest. Lisa and I have known each other a while. I was actually a long time. Yeah, I I was trying to think when when did we meet. That's a good question. Probably two thousand around two thousand. Yeah. So that's been a while. It's hard to believe it. That is. I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> we were both very young. We were all children at that point. Oh yeah. Um, and you were involved with. Uh, George W. Bush's campaign. Yes. And uh, it happens to be his birthday yesterday. Two days ago. Two, Two days, days ago. ago. Two yeah. days ago. I saw, I, I saw you wishing him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, W. I did wish him a happy I, birthday. I, I, I did as well. Um, tell us, how did, that, how did that come about? I mean, I think that's a pretty interesting story. You were, you know, a key player in, his, in both campaigns here in Arizona for him. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm really fortunate, and it really goes back, now you make me date myself even further, uh, back to 1988 when I met my husband when I was working on a local campaign in Illinois, and he came in as an advance representative for George Herbert Walker Bush, the first President Bush, and uh, I was the local host committee coordinator and we put on a great rally right after the first one, right after the convention. And it was fabulous. And I met my future husband. So that all worked out well. Um, we were in, we got married, lived in D.C. through the administration, moved back here where my husband's from um, to Arizona. And I kind of took a break and I had a lot of kids. And then they called and said that Governor Bush was going to, look to run for president and would we help out? And of course that was an easy answer to say yes. So we started working. I think my, we did an event here. Uh, I think one of the first fundraising events in the country was here in Arizona, had a great event with uh, Jim Simmons and Jim Click co-hosting. They were the finance co-chairs. Probably had to do with Jim Click. <laughs> yes. And had a great event and, and even more fun to make things full circle. The, the fundraiser uh, came in and her name is Beth Sturgeon, and she was super excited, and we were putting on this event, and she was also a little nervous. This was you know, a big event and running for president, and she mentioned that her boss was going to be coming in, and it turned out to be um, someone that I had worked with on the 88 Victory Campaign in Missouri, who turned out to be her boss and a big part of the campaign and is a dear friend to this day. And so, you know, things come full circle, um, at the time, he was working for a senator from Missouri, and they were office next to the Victory Campaign in 92, and that's how we had originally met, and here he comes strolling in as the, the finance uh, director for the Bush campaign. So it's a small world small in politics. World. Yes. yes, it is. Anyway, so uh, the campaign got going. It was an interesting time to be a Bush person in Arizona because, as you'll recall, Senator McCain was also interested in being the, the president of the United States. And so it was a, an interesting introduction to Arizona politics. We had attended a few events, but really I had been focused on a little bit of our business and a whole lot of having kids. <laughs> yeah, I remember that time uh, a little bit. I mean, having known... John McCain, a good portion of my life, and and 
but wanting to support uh, then Governor Bush, it wasn't really an option at that time. There, there were a few people who came out, Governor Hall yeah. and uh, Sheriff Arpaio, yeah. uh, and some other notables along the way. And I, and I met a lot of great people that I'm still friends with to this day from that campaign. Um, went, you know, time went on, and he became the nominee, and. Then I got introduced more so to the state party here and became the victory director. And uh, we actually shared office space with Senator Kyle's campaign. And it's the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that, I guess it was 06 when uh, Kyle was up for reelection. And uh, he was, that was, he was nervous. I remember that because campaign. it was uh, Jim Peterson, wealthy yeah. developer, was running against him, spending millions. And Jim was hammering him on all sorts of all things. sorts of things. And Peterson spent, I think, thirteen or fourteen million dollars, which was absolutely unheard of. Yeah. at that to hit, you know, we'd never had that kind of money spent on a Senate race in Arizona at that point. It seems like such a small amount of money <laughs> compared to today. Today, <laughs> Mark Kelly raised a hundred million dollars. Just doesn't seem possible, but um, that was a that was an intense campaign because um, you had the governor's race. Len Munsell had been nominated over Don Goldwater, and Napolitano was running for re-election. So you had Napolitano running as the Demo- uh, you know, Democrat governor, and then Kyle up in '06. Which was not a great year. It's a terrible for year. Republicans, because no. you know the midterm after a general, you know, presidential election, and Bush had been reelected, and things were starting to go south on Iraq and the war, and people getting frustrated. So it was. We worked a lot, of, and so Lisa and I worked pretty closely together that year. We shared an office. Yeah. Um, Share an office with, with like three other people Mike in Haller a little bitty and, space. Yeah. <laughs> And one of my most memorable screaming matches in politics happened I, in that I, office. I recall that. <laughs> I stepped out of the office for that. Oh, that do was, tell. Well, it was... Uh, if you're going to bring it up. You so running for re-election um, that year was Congressman J.D. Hayworth. Sure. He was running against Harry Mitchell, who had been the, the mayor of Tempe for years and was the state senator from that area at the time. And... J.D., I think, felt like he'd gotten the short end of the stick when it came to redistricting a few years earlier, and somehow I was to blame for that. Okay. And he let me know okay. that it was all my fault. And that's the only time I've ever been in an, a conversation in which I've had spittle land on my face. Really? <laughs> so. I hit. <laughs> you hit. <laughs> you left the room. It was it was it was an intense intense time, and Hayworth ended up losing pretty narrowly. We didn't know the results for a number of days after. Right? No, it was close, and I remember. I, I think at the time, let's see, my son would have been about twelve. No, yes, ten. He was ten, and uh, he and his football buddies came in, and this is when we still actually did some stamping of. Mail. Yeah, we actually <laughs> had to touch not. it, right? We actually touch it, make phone calls, and uh, handwrite it. And that kid on occasion. was super interested in that race because he had put mail, uh, you know, been been involved in it, and for days while we were waiting for the, you know, 
determination. Did J.D. Hayworth win? <laughs> like, no. Unfortunately, it did it not. Did, did not work it, it, out. It beat the Obama conversation, though, when he, when he same child, said, do we have to move to an apartment now? Because <laughs> <laughs> the sky is falling. That means you're raising them well. So. Yeah. <laughs> they get it. <laughs> so tell us about um, being a woman in politics. You've been a mom. You've been at the highest levels of the political echelon um, with presidential campaigns. I mean, how, do, how, did, how have you balanced all that? How, that? how have you looked at your life and said, this is how we're going to make it work? Uh, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And uh, my kids will tell you there are times where they were, they, you know, poor kids would come in and they, it'd be like the month where you had to track your nutrition and they'd have to write down what they had for dinner. It was like pizza, pizza, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's election season. We eat pizza. Um, you know, they, they got to do a lot of great things as a result of our involvement in, in politics. Um, and we were super fortunate and did, you know, produced the White House Easter egg roll for eight years. And you know, when it was over, my, my youngest daughter was an infant, like three weeks old for the first one. And uh, by the end of it, when it was over, she said, what are we going to do on Easter? I said, go to church like <laughs> yeah. everybody else. <laughs> right. Not going to the White House. Um, <laughs> that has ended. In fact, in, in your office, you have some of those posters. And I, and I remember um, when you and I got reacquainted several years ago and then looking at one of those posters, and I looked closely and I said, this is the one where Hannah Montana played with the yes. Jonas Brothers. I know because I was there <laughs> so with, my, with my then five-year-old. The James kids had some influence on uh, who we should invite for the entertainment, and yeah. Hannah Montana and the Jonas Brothers were were top of the list. We were and talking about <laughs> Hannah Montana in another podcast. Yep, she's she's yeah. changed a little since she's, then. She's <laughs> changed a little, yeah. But uh, the Jonas Brothers are still around, and they are. They seem to be doing all right. They yeah. do. Yeah. They do. Um, it was, you know, we had some great experiences. It, you know, I will tell you, there were often times where, you know, it was it was. I would be the only woman in a room in, in politics. I was super grateful when I got here and met people like Lisa Atkins and Kim Wold and, um, and Karen Taylor Robeson, um, uh, Becky Burnham, some people that really were engaged and, and part of that political process, Connie Wilhelm. Um, and we did some we did some great things. We actually were all inspired, um, I think, to get more women involved. We held a huge event together uh, that benefited the state party. Um, can't remember what year it was, but I think we had over a thousand people, and it was just dedicated to engaging women in politics. And it's important. Um, I think that times have changed a lot. There are more women, and Arizona is super interesting. So when when we moved out here, I thought. This is going to be really boring. It's Arizona. It's red as red can be, and there's nothing really going on. I mean, it's great. It was great. It's freedom. It's, um, it's, it was exciting to come to a conservative state where people were like-minded, and, uh, and, then, and the battles were really a lot of them in the primaries. Things have changed since then. Um, demographics have changed, and voter trends have changed, and, and it's been nothing but interesting to put it mildly since then it was not the boring state I thought it was going to be I mean, maybe I would I some a big part of me wishes it was yeah <laughs> uh, but 
it's uh, it's been an incredible experience, and I'm really thankful for some you know great women that I've met along the way and are become lifelong friends that are a big part of the political process here. And we've been we, Arizona's done some great things. I mean, Arizona's led from the beginning. I mean, from Sandra O'Connor to um, you know having the year that we had all women holding the constitutional offices of Arizona, right. even if one was a Democrat. Right. <laughs> um, Turned out okay in the end uh, when she left early, but um, so there are. While it's while we lead here, there's still a lot of work to be done, though, and that's why uh, I've put my heart and soul and volunteer time into a program called the Dodie London Excellence in Public yeah, Service Series. Um, program. And then also I brought my handout with me for Maggie's List, which also is a, a national program that supports Republican women at the federal level. Um, we do endorse at statewide offices in, in the states, but it's really primarily more for the federal level. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Arizona really has had some phenomenal women leaders. And I, I, I think it kind of, to some degree, goes back to, I mean, Arizona well, allowed women, you know, it. in the Constitution, women could vote before yeah. they could nationally. Um, they could, and then they couldn't, yeah, right, so that we beca- right. could so become, we become a state. A state. <laughs> then we changed constitution right back. Um, but you mentioned Sandra Day O'Connor, and I mean, what an inspiration she has been, or has she has been for decades um, to so many men and women, women and men, I should say. Um, but you mentioned Lisa Atkins and Kim Wold, and, and when you think about there were, you know, we've had not only we had a number of women elected officials, but we've also had really strong women in positions of power, you know, more behind the scenes. I mean, Kim was, you know, Kyle's top top aide for year, for years. Lisa Atkins was chief of staff for Bob Stump, and and they're they really the two of them. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them because they really have mentors' hearts. I mean, well, they are phenomenal people i've i've they've been there for me from the very very beginning it's it's it's, well i mean it's i I can totally concur with that especially when it comes to lisa atkins so i'm i'm literally 23 24 years old i'm pounding the pavement in washington dc and my base of operations is i'm trying to find a job on capitol hill fresh out of college is bob stump's office and basically, Lisa telling me, yeah, just go go in his office and make your calls and do whatever you need to do. And one time, I think we've talked about this, one time he comes in with like some, some folks from out of town and I'm in there at his desk using his phone. And he's like, oh, sorry, Chris, we'll, 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 we'll stay out here. I go, whoa, <laughs> time out. But she was, in terms of mentorship, she was tremendous for me because she kind of kept me focused on on the, you know, what Washington was versus what it isn't, what the opportunities are for somebody like me versus what they're not. And uh, she was great. And and we've had, I think your point is great. I mean, there's been so many strong women. I mean, both uh, on both sides. I mean, are are tremendous people, tremendous leaders who've made a difference for Arizona. Definitely. Whether you, you know, agree with them or, or not agree with them. I, I, I consider Ann Kirkpatrick. I mean, I don't agree with everything that Ann you know, is for or not, but I love her. She's just a sweet, nice lady all the time when I when I meet with her. Not a Republican, but um, she embodies that sort of spirit. Yeah, I think. 
a lot of great women out there. Brenda Burns. Um, yeah. Just so many over the years that have really been super receptive of of building a network of women that can reach out to each other. I mean, certainly they let the men call them too, but <laughs> but they really um, there's been a in a in a competitive competitive environment that politics can be and is. They've been really great to work with and to build people up. And and that's what the Doty London program is about. It's about education, but it's also about creating this network of women across the state. It's not just Maricopa County. It's We've got women from Mojave County down to Cochise to Yuma to, you know, all, all across the state um, who have gone through this program. And they know when they have a question or they need help with something, they can reach out to any and say, hi, if, even if they've never met, because now the program's been going for 10 years. Um, we've got, you know, over 100 graduates, and they can call and say, you don't know me, but I'm a Doty class of, and it just opens that door. And speaking, I mean, the reason it's named the Doty London Excellence in Public Service Series is after the first, and for a long time, the only woman to have ever chaired the Arizona Republican Party, Doty London. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. What... Um, You've been an astute political observer and an insider and a participant in the process. What what are the things that, what would you say are the biggest changes you've noticed dating back to 1988? Yeah, 1988 <laughs> to now. Oh, my gosh. Um, philosophically or, or how we do campaigns or? Well, maybe it's, yeah, I've. How, yeah, how we do campaigns. I think that's a good question. I, mean, I think you have good I insight mean, on that. The first job I had was for a state senator in Illinois, and it was a government job. I was a, his district director. It's a little different than in Illinois than, than how it is in Arizona. Um, and they would send us a press release. They'd send me like 20 copies of a press release that they'd written in Springfield, and mail it to me with black and white pictures, and then I would mail them to the newspapers <laughs> and to, not the pictures, but this, the press release to the radio stations, and that's how we got media, which is a little different than uh, how it works today, not, where not anybody Twitter, with an but. iPhone or <laughs> or any smartphone can can be a reporter themselves. Right. And, and the commentary, yes, was we'd get some angry letters, but not, you know, it'd be you know, a few a day, not a, a hundred an hour on whatever you happen to be doing at that moment. So social media, I think, has changed everything. I mean, my goodness, we don't even, you know, because it went from that to fax machines. I, I mean, I remember the first computer system, the finance system I got to do reporting for campaign contributions and it used a disk that was like a 12 by 12 Um <laughs> Just all kinds of things have changed since then. But, you know, the fact that and you'd get a piece of paper with your phone list on it and have people, you know, literally dial up. And we were still doing that in the 2000, 2004 campaigns, picking up the phone and looking up a number that you had printed out and filling in a bubble of what they said their answer was and then feeding it through a computer, which we thought was super advanced. And now, you know, you pick up the phone, it's already connected to the the person you're calling it's all done on your phone. You don't even have to go anywhere to do it, which I miss a little bit. Of, right. I think there's a, a energy that comes from a bunch of people piling into a, a campaign office and, and being 
part of that whole system. And not that there still aren't campaign events to do and, and that that can build, but I think phone banks are kind of something I, believe it or not, miss. <laughs> I, I do. I, I was a, I've always been a big believer in phone banks. Um, that, that was how John Shaddy won his first election in 1994 was we set up the garage and we brought in dedicated lines. We had 13 or 14 phones and we just staffed that thing every night and made phone calls. Um, and that, that made the difference for him. And there is the energy, the buzz from just the hum, what I called the phone bank hum. And, uh, we've lost a lot of that because of the the ability to do things remotely. In fact, I think it was, was it to the 2004 campaign where we, and I think it was Bill Gates set up the, he was the, the E. He was, he was our, he was our go figure. <laughs> wait, wait, your name is Bill Gates. You must be in right. charge of our electronic communications. And it was, you set up these house parties and then you kind of electronically were a precinct, you know, precinct captain or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we had names for them. Um, but I, I remember thinking, wow, this is, I can do this stuff from home yeah. and kind of changed everything. So it did. It's, it's come a long way, but I, you know, but you've really developed relationships with people that would even just come in for your phone banks. I had a guy who came in, his name was Myron. You might remember him. And he came in every like four times a week and he was a member of the union and he was um, LDS, and like he had all these interesting things about him, and he would come in very consistently, and so and he made call after call after call, and we tracked him, and you could get prizes for you know, or we'd reward you with something for your calls, and and eventually the the president was coming to town, and I said, Myron's got to be a greeter. The man's made more calls than anybody, and he's got such a unique background, so he president arrived and Myron got to meet him and they, you know, they got their picture and they mail you your picture. And then he was really dedicated. He came (laughs) back every night and he brought, he had framed his picture and he would bring it with him. He would stop at Subway on his way and he would have his Subway sandwich and he would come in and he had his phone area he liked and he'd put his picture up and he'd get his subway out and he'd start calling. And I was like, if I could duplicate you. Yeah. But that, but that sort of embodies kind of what what remains the same I think in politics and that is you need people like that you do. on your campaign regardless and of you the need technology to... that exists I mean you right. need people like that who are that dedicated who who are feel blessed in some way by a simple contact with the candidate and, and feel connection and who will do who run through a brick wall for that person I, I think there's one rule that hasn't changed and if somebody says I'm and I actually registered him to vote before we had an office he came in to the state party and I was there because I've done a lot of interest. I, I have been very privileged to go to some amazing events and meet amazing people and be in some really interesting situations. I have also picked up trash with my bare hands off the courthouse lawn in Prescott where the prisoners that were sent over to do the same had like rubber or, or, um, gloves and little pickers. No, right. me, my hands. <laughs> Um, so I've, I've done, and I, and I think that you need to do that in a campaign. You need to not ask someone to do something you're not willing to do. Um, you need to do everything along the way and do all the building blocks, but you also need to tell people you appreciate them. 
And if they come in and they want to do something, then you need to have something for them to do because the worst they're going to go find they're yearning to be part of it. And if you don't give them a way to be part of it, they're going to go do it for someone else. Well, and, and be a part of it in a meaningful way. I mean, that's, that's busy work. Volunteers don't like busy work. They want to actually make a difference. And I think that's why I, I love phone calls because that is a really, that, that is one of the most important parts is that personal interaction with voters. Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've tried to, and my husband is a thousand times better at this than I am, but um, and it's one of the things that really made me fall in love with him right away is not just as a, as a person as and became my husband, but in politics is he made everybody a, a part of that event feel like if you didn't do whatever your job was, even if it was taking out the trash, the whole thing was going to fall apart. Everything depended. I really need to stop talking with my hands. <laughs> uh, everything no, depends on you doing your part and doing it well. And, and it's, all the parts are important. So yeah, that's a great point. What What do you? I mean, in today's environment, fast forward to today's environment, you have a lot of interaction, I'm sure, with first time candidates. Yes, candidates who have this dream of becoming congressman or state senator or whatever. What's? How do you see that now? Like, what do you What do you see that's missing from a lot of folks who want to run for office and yet maybe don't have it? what it takes. I think a lot of people decide they want to, they're interested in running for office, but they don't understand the political system at all. The, sure. what a, what's a precinct committee man? What's the state party? Um, what is their role? What are they supposed to do? Who do they speak for? Um, I think a lot of people think they're a member of the party um, or they're part of the party because they've registered Republican. And that is true. But to really be, I think, if you can engage them in what it means to be a precinct committee man. And I, and this is changing too, because I think the role of the party has drastically changed over the years and their influence has changed. Um, but for them to understand what it means to go to a legislative district meeting or a County meeting and what it means to go out and collect petition signatures, I think, um, depending on what you're running for, it, it can be an awesome task to go out and especially for a statewide race or even a congressional race, the number of signatures that you're required to collect and the contributions. And I think oftentimes I think I'll hire a fundraiser and it'll be fine. And they don't realize that the people that are going to give you money want to talk to you, not your fundraiser. Right. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think, I think with social media, people are, um, I talked to, for some reason, I, I talked to a lot of first time candidates who, who somehow get my number and nobody really understands why they're running. It seems, it seems like they, they get caught up in social media and the talking points of the day. And they really haven't thought through what it, the work, you know, the real work, what it means it what, if, if you're successful, now you have to go do this job. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, not, not just be successful, like just the work of putting together a campaign. Oh yeah. Like the party's not going to put together your campaign. No. The, the consultants will probably hijack your campaign and then you'll be in the poorhouse because you've given all your money to them and you're just a number to them. And so, I mean, they haven't done the work themselves, like in themselves and, and understanding what it takes to really work a campaign. I think they're, I think some of the best advice I've given to people that are, have come to me and said, I want to run for office is a, going through that series of questions and then saying, 
maybe you should go try X, Y, and Z, and then think about this in two years or in four years. But, you know, go develop some of this structure more and think about, you know, I, one of the things I still tell every candidate to do is go, go home and write down everybody that you can remember that you've ever met in your life, that you have any sort of ability to reach out to, whether it's your first grade teacher or, you know, someone on, you know, the family from your kid's little league team or whatever it might be. And can you call them? Would they vote for you? And how much money will they give you? Yeah. And then cut that in half because you're dreaming. (laughs) And then do you think you can wage a campaign? I think John Kyle has one of my favorite lines where he said, you know, money doesn't buy everything, but have you ever tried to buy anything without it? And (laughs) campaigns take money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Lots of money. Lots of money. um, What's your favorite memory of, of President Bush? Oh, gosh. Um... A lot of great memory. Well, first, which one? Well, W. 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 Yeah. I would say some really tender moments that I was able to see that I don't think the rest of the public got to see where we'd be backstage and they'd bring in, for instance, a Gold Star family. And that wasn't something for the press to attend or even know was happening. Those were very off the record. And, and for him and no staff, I mean, everybody was kicked out and he spent time with those families and, um, you know, sometimes there wasn't a space for a lot of privacy, so it would literally be blue pipe and drape around them and the time that he spent with them and the personal, you know, feelings that you could see come across or mm-hmm. hear come across or watch those families come out. And those were super tender and personal. And, and I wish more people, not for political sake, could, could have seen that because they are very personal moments and they should belong to those families. But to know that... That was a man who really did truly care. Yeah. It, yeah. it is. There's this fast, public persona. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating yeah. to me how much and how quickly history has, has changed its mind about W in the sense that he, you know, when he left office, he was this failure as a president and, you know, everyone was, you know, Obama gets elected, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, boy, when you think about how things have changed and you know, I have Democrat friends who long for the days of W. Um, that that's an interesting point. That's a really interesting <laughs> and I'm point. Like, you, you, you called him the devil when he was the president. Because when what you, are you talking when about? you consider the vilification of George W. during that time, um, even by members of his own party, which I thought was um, unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And and "Quote unquote conservatives, who um, who didn't think he went far enough in, in, in a lot of policy, and uh, and some of that policy victories were realized under under the last president in some ways, but but the way President Bush conducted himself in the office and the and how he expected his staff to conduct themselves, I think was a great example because I know I mean I know a lot of those people and they're just stalwart, good, decent, you know, Loyal, folks. hardworking. Tremendously um, loyal. Yes. And and really had the best interest of the country at heart. Maybe other than Reagan, the most loyal staff that I've encountered in my short time in the political world. I mean, the George W. Bush 
you know, staff is fiercely loyal to. I, I think that's a Bush family thing. Yeah. Um, it, it comes from, you know, their family, um, their loyalty matters. Um, and not in, in a good way. Um, it, you know, it was interesting to, you know, who would think that you would work for two presidents in the same family and really relatively close together yeah, in the, yeah. in the years, in the time span, um, is it's the greatest honor of my life to have been part of that. And you know, it's funny, I started out as a Jack Kemp, um, volunteer in, in 88 oh, and, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and also a great man. Yes. That's, that's what we have in common as well. Well, a little, a little different though on the, you know, it oh. was, but I'm forever grateful for, for both those opportunities. Yeah. Well, people forget like Jack Kemp for, for those of us growing up in the Reagan era, it was like, he like walked on water in terms of policy and tax policy and. And then his role with with George H.W. as as housing secretary yes. was maybe the most consequential housing secretary that we've ever had in terms of policy, in terms of enterprise zones and and, and all these different conservative ideas right. of how to get people into home ownership and the entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurial capitalism and you didn't you didn't hear housing directors talk like that in a in a presidential administration, but he was he was serious. No, it was a lot of fun to see him again, you know, volunteered for him in 88, flew on my own dime as a poor, young, you know, I think my first political job, I made $12,000 a year. Um, and I flew to New Hampshire to be part of the whole, I, w I just wanted to be part of it. As a volunteer on my dime, stayed in some house that the campaign had rented where I woke up and some stranger was sharing my pillow. We were sleeping on the floor and it was like an empty house with just... You brought your sleeping bag and your pillow, and you went out and worked all day. And um, and then to you know move forward. And in '92, I went and did the Missouri Victory uh, campaign office. And my boss there was the state director, who's now a, a congresswoman, uh, Ann Wagner, who was also a RNC co-chair at one point in time. And um, Again, these relationships that I could, you know, still talk to her every once in a while and and have these conversations. But we remember what it was like to be in the trenches. I think the difference is now because people see so much more that they think that they've, and not that you have to pay your dues, but you kind of have to pay your dues and yeah. know what you're getting your for education purposes to know what you're getting yourself into. That is such a great point. I think that there's so many young people today that that just think you can just leap to. The big thing, you know, I having knocked on doors and made phone calls, and I mean, for years I did that. And now, I mean, I remember I was doing a, I was helping with a statewide race not not long ago, a few years ago, and um, a young lady came in. So the candidate, the campaign manager, those of us around him that were helping, um, were all in the office making phone calls. She's probably twenty one or twenty two years old. And comes in, she's like, oh, I'm too important to make phone calls. That's below me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. The candidate is right there making phone I'm calls. I'm too <laughs> important to make phone calls. It was just astounding. You obviously um, need a refresher course. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, speaking of young people in politics, what, what advice would you give to 
someone in college or uh, young young person interested in politics and wants to get involved? Volunteer and say yes to every opportunity you're offered because you don't know where it will lead. I uh, I had zero interest in politics, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I got there accidentally. Um, I went to, due to my high school history teacher, um, who was a Democrat, and we still chat to this day. I'm from a little bitty small town, and uh, and she told me I should apply for this Illinois government internship program. And you leave high school for a semester and you go to the Capitol and you intern. I wanted to be a nurse. I'm like, why would I do this? And I think she knew more about my family's political involvement and interest in politics at the time than than I did because I was a self-absorbed teenager. But I did it. I went because a friend of mine was going to do it. And I thought it'd be fun and you get to leave my little town and go to the Capitol. And I went and I interned at the Illinois Alcoholism and Drug Dependence Association because I thought it would be the closest thing to nursing that, you know, it was healthcare kind of related. Um, And it was toward the end of my internship and my boss there said, you should go meet your state senator. I was like, okay. So made an appointment and went over to the Capitol and introduced myself and he, you know, I, I think this shows you that retail politics. He said, where are you from? And I Salem, Illinois. Who are your parents? Roy and Sharon Woodard. I know them. They've had fundraisers for me. Your dad's a precinct committeeman. You know, all of these things. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it's still kind of whatever. And his office wasn't in the actual Capitol building. It was in the Stratton office building. And so the bell rang for them to go make a vote. And he said, do you want to come over? And I have to go. Do you want to come see what that's like? And I said, sure. It was toward the end of the day. So I go with him and we go on the floor of the of the Senate in the Illinois Capitol and they started debating and I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I must be part of it. Right. <laughs> changed my whole plans, changed my college I was going to, went to work for him. Um, and uh, so Frank Watson, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> for inviting me to watch you vote and changing my life. My parents were very distressed when I said, I don't want to be a nurse anymore. I'm not going to go to St. John's School of Nursing. I'm now going to go into politics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. But it is, I think you're right, not saying, you know, saying yes to every opportunity is is really how it happens. Um, I mean, it is the only reason I am where I am now. It's because yeah. just things that you just don't turn down. Yeah. Even if they seem beneath you you know because one of the things that chris and i have talked about is and i think we talked about this last week that the one the one thing is as i look back now on my career um the importance of of being kind to people um especially people that you know you might be over like when i was chief of staff and we had interns and staff assistants and all that kind of thing i tried to be uh, kind of everyone because you never know who's going to end up, you know, in a really important position, you know, an elected official or, you know, big time lobbyist or whatever. It's funny you say that. So you said that very nicely. My husband says the ass you kick today could be the ass you kiss tomorrow. Right. Pardon my language. No, but. that's great. That's a much better way to say but, it. Uh, we need that on a plaque. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, I, I, 
I would put a quote board behind me sometimes during campaigns and some of the quotes would be interesting. And oftentimes it was the good you do may not be good for you <laughs> because trying to re- remind yourself that yep. there's, there's a bigger, it, it may hurt you at the moment, but it's for a bigger purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to that, that idea of in today's social media vitrolic sort of culture of attack and then hide. That's what I would call it. You know, you, anybody on Twitter can have a almost an anonymous handle and attack somebody and go go hide. And 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 but eventually it comes back. It all comes back. Well, and, they might make an opinion. Yeah. Others make an opinion of you before they've ever met you. They feel like they know you from what they've read about you or a comment made. And then when you meet, they're like, "Oh, oh, you're a you, lot different than I thought." You do not have horns. Yeah, <laughs> you're not the devil. <laughs> Well, I've, I mean, I've had we, that experience many times, but well, you've been called the Prince of Dark Money, yeah. and then we had you know the Dragon Lady Kathy Herod on here. So <laughs> I mean, you know, another and, and great you meet, female yeah. leader, and you Kathy. Meet Kathy for the first time, you have all this. I mean, I was guilty of it. I had all these things in my head, and I'm like, you're like the nicest person I think I've ever met. So great, let's yeah, let's do something. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, great, and. Uh, and the, and the grassroots politics part is such a it, it's I think the basics have, are still the same. It's about relationships. It's about being kind. It's about working hard, and it's not taking yourself too seriously. I mean, the the young people who take themselves way too seriously walk into a campaign are going to get their rears handed to them yeah. pretty quick. Oh my goodness! It, it and it's true. And the, and you're going to make mistakes along the way. I so this is one of my favorite campaign stories. It's two thousand. I conned my neighbor and dear, dear friend who I don't even know. You talk about how do you raise kids and do politics and and your husband goes to six for six months to Iraq during the middle of the Bush campaign and and my neighbor is it, it I don't like to quote Hillary Clinton very often, but it does take a village when you're working in politics. Madame and and uh, my neighbor Cheryl is my godson, but I talked her into 2000 into working with me at the Victory office, and we planned this Victory bus tour, and they sent us these stickers, and I don't remember what they said, Victory, I don't know, something about Victory, and we were going to go on this bus tour, and we rented this bus, and, and at the time, Victory, the dollars still flowed through the state party, so it's it's Nathan um, was the head of the party, and and I said, we're running this bus, and they sent me these stickers, and we put this giant decal on this bus, and we get done with our bus tour, and we come back, and it's time to take the sticker off, and it brings all the paint off of the bus. <laughs> it was a brand-new bus. This bus driver was having a heart attack, and I think poor Brenda Burns was in on that, too. She'd gone on the bus tour, and we're like, peeling this thing off and the paint's just coming with oh it. And gosh. then I have to call and explain that I need thousands more dollars to, <laughs> to repaint, repaint a bus. bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, among, yeah. So there have been some not so great moments and there have been some incredible moments, um, you know, filling up bank one ballpark, which was what it was called at, at the time for a debate watch party. Um, kind of, I wore orange today for the Suns, by the way. Um, Good for you. And I did yeah. notice that they're going to fill up. They're, they have watch parties at for the game um, when they're out of town at the arena. And I'm thinking it just brought back, I'm like, that's the political nerd I am. I have a watch party for a debate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was it was fantastic. That's great. How do you look at politics going forward? 
How do you look at, I mean, where we are as a country, obviously, is just in a, we're in a crazy time. And, and, and what do you think needs to change? And then what do you think we need to own? It's a sad time, actually. I think the exactly what you're talking about, the, the social media has allowed, um, you know, things to become very ugly. They've always been ugly. My husband reminds me, you know, they, you know, Civil War. We're not, we're not. <laughs> it could be worse. Um, but I, I think people need to remember these are humans and they're, most of them enter into the world, whether you, into the world of politics, whether you agree or disagree, they really think they're there to do better. And it's very easy to shout people down and, and comment that they're out to destroy the United States of America or that they're not right enough or they're not um, pure enough to be in politics. And I think in the end, um, we've driven people so far to the right and and equally the left has done the same so far to the left that until people find their way back to being able to realize that working together is the only way we're going to move forward and not giving up your principles I'm, I'm not saying that in the least but figuring out how to work together to push things forward matters and until we I, I think that's what we need some kind of return to civility and not to say that I don't play hard I don't play to win but to do so without being mean. And I, I, I think we need that. But that's well me. And yeah. Good. Well, where can people find you? Yeah. Find me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to find me. <laughs> um, but I would love for, for women who are interested in engaging in politics to go to dodielondon.com. It's, it's, it's a commitment to do that, but I think that um, they'll find that they have a great network of women to reach out to, and men. We, we do bring in, we include the other gender to come in and, and talk about uh, what it means to be in politics. And I, I got to speak to yes. um, some yeah, of Dirty London folks. That was great. That was a great little, uh, You've done back, it before, yeah. too. So, yeah. um, but I think that if you're interested in taking it, and, and it doesn't mean you're going to run for office. Um, that's what I love about this program. It's It might be that you become someone's finance chair, or you might serve on a board or a commission, and heavens knows we need more people in those positions. We need people to start at the school board level, to start at city council, to really know and learn that, that process. Plus, we need good people serving in those positions. And so, um, and it might be that you want to run for Congress. I one who came in and said, I'm going to be president of the United States one day. And I said, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> so I've had more than one say that. So one of them will do it someday. Um, but to really um, go through this process, it's it's a big commitment. It's 10 months long. and um, But we cover everything. We try to cover how to raise money and stay out of jail and uh, how to run a campaign, and but also how the government works, what's local government, what's state government, um, you know, subdivisions of government. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. There. Yeah. Thanks for coming for in being here. and uh, sharing a little bit of your life with us. It was Appreciate fun. It. I talk too much. So that's uh, why you're here is to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody uh, wants to hear us just talk. Well, so now no, I mean, the next person we need to have in is, is Gordon. He would and have a we, good time. And then we can really get in the weeds. He, he has some good stories. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's a gentleman and a great man. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.